Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of On Campus with Cuervo. I am your co-host of the show, Brian Tarvin, and hopefully soon we'll be joined by the host, Cuervo, tonight. Uh, we're going to do this show on my channel. Usually we're doing it on his channel, but I think he's on the road right now, and I set it up, so probably the first hour will be on our channel, and the second one will be on his, and we want to welcome everyone that is ready to watch a huge weekend of college football and some NFL football as well. So thanks for joining us tonight. You will get a lot of information. And also, just a little special tonight, I'll give you my top five NFL games of the week, the point spreads included. Um, And I don't pick these just by the best matchups of the week. I pick the best value for your pick, actually. So there's some good games out there in the NFL if you've been keeping your eye on it. Um, Some questionable point spreads there. I think Vegas could have dropped the ball on a couple of games, and also if you if you love college football this weekend, it's stacked. And if you saw last weekend, seven ranked teams went down, and it was amazing to watch. And the way this football season started, it was kind of going slow, no real big upsets, and all of a sudden I think the floodgates are opening. And I think if you liked seeing last weekend's upsets, you're going to love seeing the rest of the year because I think – we're starting to find out what these teams are made of. And that's why I hate preseason polls is because you never know who's going to be what by this time of year, who's going to develop, who's going to have injuries. I mean, look at Georgia. A top five team lost to Clemson early in a shootout. And then they beat LSU. They beat South Carolina. Almost lost to Tennessee once they started getting decimated by injuries, and then they lost at home to Missouri, which goes to show you college football is a is a war, it's, and it's twelve battles that that lead up to the to the final battle to see where you're going to be. And Georgia started out, you know, they lost the first battle, and then they started winning some bigger battles and getting themselves ready to end up the season. And now, where is Georgia going to go? That's a big question mark in in everyone's mind. I mean, to see a team decimated like this, and then tomorrow, I mean, when you look at this schedule a few weeks ago and you saw Vanderbilt on the schedule, you thought, oh, hey, here's a win by Georgia, you know, to keep them going. But tomorrow will be a dogfight for Georgia. Anytime you go on the road in a conference game, you never know what to expect except one thing, that it's going to be a dogfight usually. So Georgia comes in playing bad against Tennessee, and you have to credit Tennessee for that too. Um, they laid an egg against Missouri last week, and now I don't know what the mindset of this team is. They still control their own destiny in the East, I believe, because I think Missouri is going to lose since they've lost their starting quarterback. So Georgia, if you're Mark Rick and if you're a good coach, you can still motivate these guys to realize that there's an entire season left. And you can still make a, a Sugar Bowl, a BCS Bowl, but you can't win the championship. But you can you can spoil someone else's season. So if you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan out there, you just got to hope Mark Rick can rally the troops. The defense of Georgia has been awful this year, and I don't remember any injuries to the to any of the defensive starters. I do know they graduated a lot and went to the NFL. So it's a young defense that, to me, it just hasn't gotten better as the year's gone on. And if you look at an Auburn defense, to me, it looks like it's grown up a lot from week one through six. And so tomorrow we'll talk about the Auburn-Texas A&M matchup. 
Auburn goes on the road with the number one rushing offense in the SEC, and, and I think their passing offense is not bad either, going up against Johnny Manziel. And, and we'll talk about the key to victory for both teams in this game, but to me the key to victory for Auburn is the defensive line of Auburn. Can it contain Johnny Manziel and cause him to get into some uncomfortable situations that will make him uncharacteristically turn the ball over. And I believe it's possible. And through this show, once we get started, once Cuervo goes on, I'm going to break down that game as well. I've done a lot of studying on this game, and nobody's given Auburn a chance in this game. But the more I look at it and the, the more I study the stats and the matchups, Auburn has just as good a shot as anybody. And, and believe it or not, I know they played Alabama. They put up 600-something yards on Bama, but – this will be the most, the fastest defense that they've played, and they have some talent on there. So I don't think linebackers is what you need against Texas at the end. I think it's good man-to-man matchups on the outside and and a lot of defensive linemen. Not just four good defensive linemen. You need about eight or nine that can rotate in and out and and be rest. You have to be rested when you play Texas at the So we're going to talk about that game. Um, Cuervo will be on in just a few minutes tonight. Right now, Louisville is taking on Central Florida in a game where everybody was thinking it's going to be close. I didn't think so. I thought Louisville would win by about 18 points, and right now it's 7 nothing Louisville in the first quarter. They hit the ball. What a great interception they made in the end zone, actually, to stop Central Florida from putting any points on the board, and they took it down the field. Uh, marched 80 yards for a touchdown. So Louisville in their first possession looked good. Central Florida had the punt on their second possession. Louisville's got the ball close to midfield right now. And we'll see how they go. But Louisville is on TV tonight. They're the only game on. And so what that means if you're Louisville is you have to impress the pollsters. So they can't afford to barely squeak by like they did Rutgers last week. They have to come out against a, a Central Florida team that a lot of people look at as is a worthy opponent. So if they blow out Central Florida, I think they start getting a little bit of their swagger back. But that schedule is bad. I mean, it's like 140th ranked in the nation, and that's including those other little cupcake schools. So that's bad. When you're trying to play for a national championship and your schedule is ranked 140th, that's not a way to do it. So i put them right there with Ohio State. They're going to have to have a lot of help to get into the championship. And you never know what can happen in college football, guys. This is week going into week seven right now, I believe. And you don't know what to expect. I mean, just because Oregon and Alabama are one and two right now doesn't mean that's where they're going to finish. And that's what I want everybody to understand. This is college football. If you think seven upsets was surprising last week, then you haven't been watching the last few years. And Let's go ahead and bring the host of this show on, Mr. Cuervo himself. How's it going, Cuervo? Tarvino, I appreciate you helping me out uh, starting the show. Uh, I've just finished setting it up to finish it off. Uh, but I'm doing great this evening. Finally home from work, and uh, it's been a long week. How about yourself, man? How are you? Man, it's been a long week. I'm doing good. Um, but, but, Cuervo, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm pumped for tomorrow. I am. I don't even know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. How big of the games are tomorrow, man? I'm pumped. I I believe it. Um, I that must mean that uh, that uh, Auburn's got a big game, and I can't remember who they play, but I'm sure it's somebody important. 
Texas A and M, Johnny Mansell, and this is like this is. Mm-hmm. A, and tell me if you tell me if you agree with this, Cuervo. Is this a game where if Auburn wins on the road against the number seven A and M, are they back? Uh, well, I think for the time being, I mean, you can't argue against it. Um, you know, a lot of people will try to say that they're back, and uh, I mean, like I said, it would be hard to argue against that statement, but. Um, I think I think you would have to see probably you know maybe another game or two if you're if you're yeah, a realist as far as an Auburn fan is concerned, which I know you are. So I would have to say, let's see what happens against A and M, and then once they get back into SEC play against Arkansas, Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama at the end, see how they do with those last four games, and then. I think you have a better idea going into next season. But if they beat A&M, I think it's a little premature. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. I, I think looking at the team from last year to this year, from one week one to six so far that I've seen them play, they have gotten better each and every week. And I think if they beat A&M on the road, I think they're probably up to about 15th in the country, maybe around that. And if you look at the remaining games, they're not easy, all of them. I mean, Arkansas on the road, Tennessee on the road, Florida Atlantic at home, and then they they finish the season with Georgia and Alabama at home. I mean, if they can win this game, you could possibly have a 10-win, 9-10-win team in Auburn, which would, to me, put them back on the map again. I mean, anytime you go from 3-9 and nine to 9-3, nine and three, I think that's a – a good turnaround, and Gus Malzahn could be up for Coach of the Year. Yeah, and I mean, again, I mean, it, it, that that's that's a good argument. You know, I mean, Auburn is probably, I would have to say, one of the most improved teams that you you'll find in college football this year so far. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, it's nothing against Auburn, Brian. I just think. I think this one win, it would be hard to say that they're back. I think they're they're hot. They're hot. if they win, you could say that they're they're a hot team right now. And I mean, you know, we see it all the time. And then they lay an egg, you know, a team will lay an egg later in the season, and you start to reach, you know, retract from the statement that you made weeks ago. So, um, I mean, yeah. I'd be. I'd be so happy for Auburn. If they could beat A&M tomorrow, Brian, I, I would be ecstatic for Auburn fans like yourself. I mean, I think – I mean, because I'm not a big Manziel fan to begin with. So I would love to see him, you know, go down, especially at home against an Auburn team that, again, I mean, you – you know, Auburn fans have – they've gone through some pains this past couple of years, so – uh, to yep. see them back, I think, would be good for, especially for not just the SEC, but I would say college football in general. I totally agree. And where do you want to start tonight? You, you, you're the host. You take over right now. And all I did was kind of just preview that. You know, you know, I didn't really do anything except talk about the Louisville game that was going on right now, and how they needed to impress the the pollsters and everybody since they're the only game on TV tonight. And that's, that's as far as I got. Well, I mean, who are they? They're playing, um, oh gosh, pull it up. Central Florida. Central Florida. Yeah, UCF. So, I mean, I don't know. What are they, almost at the end of the first quarter? It's only 7 nothing. That's kind of surprising. 
Um, that makes me wonder, you know, how much Louisville's really paying attention to this game because if they're only up seven and nothing, I guarantee you they're probably looking ahead to a certain game. And South Florida is who they play next. Now, I don't know if they're really too excited about that game, but they don't seem like the same uh, Louisville that we're used to seeing if it's only seven nothing at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, they just fumbled in the end zone, and they would have gotten a touchdown. But I'll tell you this, and it's hard to coach. You know, when you have the 140th-ranked schedule in the country, I mean, if you're Charlie Strong, Cuervo, how do you get these guys motivated every week? Like you said, oh, we're playing South Florida next week, so let's get up. I mean, it's just so hard to get these guys into the game, I bet, just every week having to, to play a team that's so much less than what you are. I mean, Charlie Strong has to do a great coaching job to keep him motivated every week. Well, I think if I'm Charlie Strong, Brian, I think just the fact that the that the um, schedule is so weak, the way I would put it to my guys is, look, you know, the the strength of schedule is, is not in our favor. So we can't afford to let up. We can't afford to uh, beat a team by a field goal. We have to go out there and we have to – we have to, uh, uh, you know, embarrass teams, and, and that's what I would. That's what I. That's what I would say to my guys. If I'm Charlie Strong, you know, we can't afford to win games by three or by seven. We need to go out there and win by at least three touchdowns. So, I think that's, you know, and it's and it's it's easier said than done, but you know, the point is they can't afford Brian to win close games because that one game that they do win in a close one, they can forget about being a top five team, which, I mean, they already, they already, uh, you know, dropped to number eight in the polls to begin with. Cause correct me if I'm wrong. They were higher before and they've, they've dropped. So, uh, um, I think they were four or I five, think, I believe. I think <clears throat> they were four, maybe at the highest and now they're eight. So, you're undefeated and you're losing ground every week. And, and that, that's going to continue because if you look at that schedule, Cuervo, the toughest game they play is Cincinnati at the end of the year, and that's not going to be tough. So I just wonder how they're going to gain any ground. I mean, a one-loss SEC team, a one-loss Pac-12 team, I mean, I just don't see them getting over them. I mean, I just see the schedule is going to get stronger and stronger for these teams. And Oregon still plays UCLA – Stanford and their Pac-12 championship game. You know, LSU still plays Bama, mm-hmm. uh, Texas A&M, right. teams like that. So, Cuervo, how are they going to jump ahead of these one-loss teams? I just don't see it even happening. I don't either. And it, it reminds you a lot of Boise State, Brian, you know, back when they were when they were going 11-0, 12-0 every year. But they couldn't gain ground because they weren't playing anybody. It's the same thing with Louisville now. It's like Louisville is – Boise State four or five years ago, and I don't think there's any way they can. And if you remember, Brian, Boise State was was doing exactly what I was talking about. They were beating teams by 30 points. They were beating teams by, uh, you know, 27, 28 points, and it just it wasn't happening. They just weren't gaining any ground, and um, I, I just don't see it happening as far as them being able to gain ground. So. The only solution, really, is schedule better teams. Yep, and and that's just what I mean, it's not the players at Louisville's fault right now. You can't fault the players, but it's a part of, of how people look at it, and you can't change it. People look at strength of schedule. I do. You do. 
and Boise State back then, every time we talked about them, hey, they're a good football team, but the knock against them is they don't play anybody. Every every Friday night they play a team and, and they have to win by 50 points, and if they struggle one game, that's it. They, I mean, they're done. If they lose or struggle, they can't get over that hump. And poor Louisville, I mean, they beat Florida last year in the Sugar Bowl, and I, I, I'm pretty sure they'll – They'll go to another game like that and possibly show out again, but I just don't think it'll be the national championship because they can't risk putting a team in that national championship game and watching them get blown out. I mean, they just can't do it. I mean, how are you going to put an LSU team that's one loss, has played a tough schedule all season, and then reward Louisville for going undefeated? I mean, if you put Auburn in that conference, they're probably a, an undefeated team. If you put Tennessee in that conference, they're probably undefeated. I mean, so that's how you have to look at it. You you take the middle half of a conference and put them into that conference and see how they do. And and w- would you agree that Tennessee right now would be undefeated if they played Louisville's schedule right now? Uh, yeah, I, I actually would, Brian. And this is not me being a homer. I mean, when you think about it, the toughest game that I would have to say Louisville's played so far, they only won by two touchdowns, and that was at Kentucky. So that, you know, and Tennessee beats Kentucky. They've beat them for the past, what, 30 years now or something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's you know, that that's that's what you get with, with Louisville. It's, it's a weak schedule. It reminds you a lot of Boise State. Um just looking at this schedule, yeah, I think that the 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 one game that Tennessee might have trouble if they had Louisville's schedule was that last game of the season at Cincinnati. That would be the only one I I could think of that they might have a little bit of trouble. Yeah, and, and I've, I've been hearing Cuervo for weeks and weeks now about how the SEC is not good anymore, how they're they're slipping and everything, and I'm. I'm I'm not trying to be an SEC homer, but I am tired of hearing that, man. Because, because, you know, Ohio State, Cuervo, everybody's on them right now that, you know, they haven't lost in two years. But you go to Vegas and you talk to the experts there, and they'll tell you that six teams in the SEC would be favorites in a neutral territory against Ohio State. See, stuff like that should matter. You should look at stuff like that. And everybody's talking about Ohio State, Ohio State. Ohio State's the biggest loser because Michigan lost to Penn State. Now, how how is Ohio State, Cuervo, how are they going to get their strength of schedule up? Because the Big Ten's terrible. Oh, yeah, and yeah, and it's going to be tough. I mean, um, just looking at the different, um, you know, schedules, I'm looking at, I mean, just this week alone, you know, t- tomorrow, I mean, my God, Ohio State plays Iowa, who's average now. They're not as good as they used to be. And then you got, uh, you know, Michigan. I don't know. Wait, do they even play? I don't think Michigan yeah, even plays this weekend. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Michigan plays Indiana. Um. Okay, I'm not seeing it because it's probably not a feature game. Michigan. Michigan's not ranked anymore, are they? No, they're out. Wow, that's a huge. Uh, that was a huge drop in reality. I mean, Michigan went from being a top. Think about that, Brian. Michigan went from a top ten team to not even being ranked anymore just because they lost to another. Uh, you know, another Big Ten team in Penn State. What do, What do you think that tells you as far as how? 
these voters feel about the Michigan Wolverines. It has to tell you that they think they're not they're not as you know there's not they're not as good as advertised. Well, I'm trying to think. Michigan. Well, how many have they lost? One. Yeah, they they could possibly still be ranked. Let me check. But the thing is, Cuervo, they they lost almost to Akron. They had to, Akron gave them the game. They had it at their two yard line. Could have won that game very easily. And then you come up and you almost lose to UConn on a Saturday night game. And then I think that that was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, Michigan's ranked in the coaches' poll 24th, which I don't know what games the coaches are watching, but the AP dropped them out. You're right. And I think watching the Penn State game, watching them lose to an unranked team, uh, and the way they played, I think it just made their mind up for them. They wanted to drop them out before that, I think, but it's kind of hard. You know, when you rank someone in the top ten and if they keep winning, it's hard to drop them, really. Some of these pollsters are very stubborn when it comes to their preseason picks. So, finally, I think they saw enough. They got Michigan out. And now when you look at Ohio State's schedule, Cuervo, there's nobody on there left that's ranked that they play. There's no one, I don't believe. I think they've already played Wisconsin. Who else do they play? They play no ranked teams for the rest of the season. No, I, I mean, everything is Big Ten. I mean, the, the rest of their schedule is, you know, conference games. However, you're right. I mean, Ohio State, they don't play any ranked teams unless somehow Penn State gets hot and they, you know, wind up getting ranked. Or if Michigan can somehow climb back into the rankings, those those are the only two possibilities that they're going to play a ranked team because – Purdue, Illinois, and Indiana—they're not, or Iowa for the, for that matter. None of those teams are sniffing any type of polls right now. The you know coaches poll or the BCS or anything like that. Yeah, let's look at the AP top twenty-five. Cuervo, there's one to Ohio State's ranked fourth, but Wisconsin just entered the polls. They're a two-loss team at twenty-five. You look at through the whole top twenty-five, you have two. At, Big Ten teams ranked, and I think that was a gift given Wisconsin that. But you look at the AP top poll with the SEC, there's eight teams ranked in the top 25. That that should say something right there. Yeah, but yet the SEC is, is starting to fall, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, yeah, the Big Ten's <laughs> catching them. And Missouri, everybody's yeah. talking about, see, Missouri beat your top team, Georgia, one of them. Well, uh, Georgia's not a top team. Once you once you start losing your entire offense, it's, I mean, you lose six players, you're going to struggle. And Missouri is a pretty good football team, Cuervo, and everybody says they're overrated. They lost their quarterback this week. But I've watched Missouri play. They're not bad. Let's look, Bama 1, then you have LSU 6, A&M 7, South Carolina 11, Missouri 14, Georgia 15, and then you even have Florida at 22 and Auburn at 24. So that's some good football teams right there we just mentioned. Florida seems like they're hitting a down cycle right now. Georgia's hitting it down. I, I don't know, Cuervo. It looks like Auburn and Missouri are the teams that are trying to push up right now in the SEC. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, for good reason. I mean, Miami – or, I'm sorry, Missouri uh, – Despite the injuries, I mean, Georgia's still a, a good – they're a stacked team. I mean, they still got a load of talent. And uh, as far as, you know, Auburn is concerned, I mean, I think, you know, everybody saw that coming. Everybody knew that Auburn was going to be a much improved team. And, 
I think I think it's just the way they won games. That, I think that's what has impressed the AP more than anything. To to beat Ole Miss, um, you know, held them to only 22 points. They're they're a supposed high powered offense, and only held them to 22 points. And um, to beat or to lose to LSU and in a competitive game. I mean, yes, it was two touchdowns, but I mean, LSU. A lot of people probably expected them to beat to beat Auburn by probably three or four touchdowns. So for Auburn to go on the road and keep it close for the most part, I think, yeah, there's no moral victories, Brian. However, even even sometimes with losses as college football fans, you have to look at, you know, how they how they lost. You know, did they did they at least give some effort? I mean, was it a close game? Things like that, and it matters in college football. See, that's why – that's what some people from the outside looking in don't understand. You know, when we analyze losses, it matters in college football. You know, if you if you lose in a close game, it's it matters compared to losing by 30. And unless you really are into college football and you're a hardcore college football – fan, then you're not going to understand what we mean by that as far as good losses and bad losses. I don't know if that's making sense to you at all, but I, I think you know where I'm, what I'm saying yeah, with that. I do, and you know, I'm, I'm never, I'm not about moral victories, and look, I want to win every game as a fan, and, and you know, I was disappointed a little bit in the LSU game, you know, because I thought, you know, we could have maybe possibly come back towards the end, we were playing hard, but what I look for in a loss is Especially for a team that was three and nine from last year, I look for how they play when they're down. That tells me a lot about a team. How do you face adversity? How do you come back when you're down twenty-one nothing on the road in the rain? What do you do? And this team kept fighting and fighting and fighting, clawing their way back in. That's a sign of a team that is building confidence. After that LSU game, that was the turning point of that season. And you can gain a lot of information after a loss. You're right, Cuervo. You can analyze it and see. That's when it started clicking for Auburn is after that LSU game. And I think, you know, it's going to be a good game against A&M tomorrow. We'll analyze that one in a little while. But it's all about confidence in college football. Like you said, which team's hot right now? And Auburn's hot. And if they go into College Station to win, they're going to be one of the hottest teams in football right now with a chance to make some noise with some teams. They're not going to win a national championship, but I guarantee you this square vote, they could call someone a championship. Well, sure, and, and I think if they beat A&M tomorrow, then I think they are going – they're not going to lose a game until, um, you know, leading up to the Georgia game. I don't, I don't think they lose again, and, and that even includes – playing against my Tennessee Vols. I think if Auburn wins tomorrow, they're going to beat Tennessee. They're going to, they're going to beat them in Knoxville. I, I'll, 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 I'll say no. I, I think that's what's going to wind up happening. And then they're going to be a one-loss team going into that game at home against Georgia. And I think that's going to make for a very, very good, uh, you know, for old time's sake, you know, Georgia, Auburn, you know, just – physical, uh, you know, just smash-mouth type game. And I mean, some people aren't into that anymore, but sometimes sometimes I enjoy those games. And, and when it comes to Georgia it. versus Auburn, when it comes to Georgia versus Auburn, Brian, 
you already know that's what you're going to get. And, and, I, and I clearly remember some of those games in the past with, uh, you know, some of the hits that, that Auburn gave out, uh, that kid, uh, Junior Rose Green. I mean, I, I remember like it was yesterday. And I'll go trying to find the uh, Auburn players, and I can't remember. But um, I'm sure you remember that when when that when the dog tried to bite that one Auburn player. <laughs> oh, I do. But, I, I mean, do. It's it's a rival, man, and they they hate each other. Yeah. But they, seems like a rival game. They just turn it up a notch on the defense. You know, most rival games are not just shootouts anymore. Rival games are just hard hitting. The defense. You could have a sucky defense all year, and all of a sudden, all it takes is a rival game to bring the best out in them. So you're right. Yeah, and that's why I think depending on how Auburn's playing, we could see, you know, uh, during in the Iron Bowl, we could see, you know, two teams playing, you know, who's going to score 20 points first, and that's going to be the winner of the game. So, I mean, it all, it just all depends at the time how Alabama's playing. I mean, everybody's like, well, don't worry about Alabama. Well, no, you have to worry about Alabama because, again, if they let their guard down too much, they're going to, you yep. know, they're going to get hit with a left hook, expecting a right one, and you know, they might they might find themselves in trouble. So they they're going to have to. Uh, Alabama's going to have to be just as careful as any team in in the country. Well, well, Cuervo, all it takes, and and correct me if I'm wrong here. We've seen it this year already. All it takes for someone to one of those big defensive linemen to fall on AJ McCarron's leg, break it, or do something, and their season's over. Well, and, and I think you could say that about just about any top yeah. team in the country. I mean, you know, Oregon is is a Marietta injury away from from losing football games. Uh, Ohio State is is one injury away. Despite, I mean, they've already played without Braxton Miller. Brian, however, they haven't, uh, you know, I mean, it was against, you know, those those little cupcake teams that they were playing against when, when Braxton Miller was out. Now, I mean, the rest of their schedule is Big Ten opponents. So, you know, you let your guard down against a Big Ten opponent, nobody knows you better than your own conference. So Ohio yeah. State's going to have to be careful too. And, I mean, that goes for any team, Brian. I mean, you lose your quarterback, uh, you're you're in trouble. You're you're in trouble, and uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, all those top teams, they're going to have to they're going to have to yeah. protect their quarterback. Well, Cuervo, you made up a good point. You brought up a good point about in conference games, and and you can out of conference is fine and everything early in the season, but when you start getting into the meat of that week to week schedule in your conference, and like Alabama, Tennessee is always a tough game. I don't care where it's played. It's always a, a hard-hitting game, and it's a rival game. Tennessee's going to play their best game of the year against Bama. And see, if Bama's overlooking them to look at somebody else, that's when people get beat. Look at Stanford last last week. You know, they're just, like, looking ahead to Oregon in a way. Just and Or UCLA. They have UCLA this week coming in, and you know for a fact that Stanford overlooked Utah, Cuervo. There's no doubt about it. They overlooked them. And all of a sudden, like you said, instead of getting a right hook, they got a left hook, and they got knocked out. And all of a sudden, their season's over because of they lost to a, an unranked Utah team. And and it can happen in conference games because nobody knows you better than the team you play every year. Exactly. And, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it's crazy, too, because, I mean, you didn't know exactly when it was going to happen, Brian, but 
something kept telling you Stanford's going to, they're going to get caught off guard. And for it to happen against Utah, I think that shocked a lot of people. And um, I think, you know, Stanford, especially the head coach, probably, you know, they probably learned a thing or two from, from that game last week. So I expect Stanford to look a whole lot better than they did last week. Um, and who, who are they playing? You said they're playing UCLA. Yeah, they're playing UCLA. I think, I think Stanford I think Stanford takes it to UCLA this week, and I really do. And you know, just because sometimes teams they they have to learn their lesson the hard way. And I think I think for Stanford, they're they're, they're like, okay, we get it now. You know, you can't overlook opponents. And um, yeah, I, I think that's what's gonna. I think that's what you're gonna you're gonna see a lot better looking Stanford team than we did last week. See, uh, I just I don't think Stanford has that that kind of team that can bounce back and dominate a team. I think UCLA from from one to eighty five, how many people are on their team, I think is they're better. I think they're they're well coached. They have a quarterback and I know everybody talks about Stanford's quarterback, how, you know, he was undefeated, Hogan was until last week, but I would take UCLA's quarterback about over anybody else's in the country almost. I mean, not more than Manziel, but you know what I'm saying. He's an NFL-caliber quarterback. He's physical. He can run the football. And UCLA plays SEC-style football, too. So that's going to be a dogfight. But I'll look for UCLA to pull a pull the upset in this game. They are an underdog. Well, yeah, well, Brian, now, isn't, isn't that UCLA quarterback, isn't he only like a sophomore? Yeah, he's a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, so UCLA's got a bright, you know, next couple of years ahead of them if this kid stays in in college. Um, you know, they're they're going to they're going to be looking like a top team every year and I mean, if you say what you want about Jim Mora Jr., I mean, I think I think he's made a a big difference in this in this program. I mean, you look at when Carl Durrell was there and when um Oh gosh, who was after? Oh, uh, Rick uh, Rick Neuheisel, wasn't it? Rick Neuheisel that was coaching them yeah. right before uh, Mora. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I believe so. I, yeah. I just think I think Mora really he's he should get a lot of credit for just the change in this program. I mean, people can dislike Jim Mora all they want, but the guy knows how to coach. I mean, he coached in the NFL for years, so he knows what he's doing. It goes to show you in college football how big coaches are, and they're huge in the mindset and the discipline they bring to the program, the recruiting. I mean, Neuheisel was a good coach, Guervo. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him, but they needed something different. It just wasn't a good fit at UCLA. But this kid Moore comes in, and he changes everything about that program. These guys, you know, UCLA, you don't think of physical football, do you, when you think about them the last few years. But now when you look at them, they're a very, very physical football team, and they took on the the personality and mentality of their head coach. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I, w- I would say probably maybe within the last year or two, um, I was listening to, I don't know how much you like Colin Cowherd on, uh, you know, in the mornings. I don't know if you heard a lot to him at all. But yeah, I love I, Colin. I, you know, a lot of people – a lot of people criticize him, but, I mean, you really have to take a step back and, and think about some of the things he says. Now, 
what you just said reminded me a lot of what he said a couple of years ago as far as college football. It's not – it really isn't about – I mean, it is about the players, but it's about the coach too. I mean, the coach plays such a huge factor in uh, how well a program is going to be. And, you know, it all comes down to recruiting. You know, it's it's one of those things where – that you don't pick the players, the players pick you. You know, your job as a head coach in college football is to go out there and try to recruit the best players that you possibly can. So, I mean, it's not really about, you know, it's about the players. It's it's about them picking you instead of, you know, in the NFL where you pick the players in the draft. So it, it, I think I personally think Tarvino, and a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I think it's a, in a way, it's harder to be a college coach, a, co- a college football coach, than to be an NFL coach. I, I, I really believe that because of the effort and the work you got to put in and the hours. Think about it. I mean, not only do you have to game plan, okay, like just like NFL coaches do as a college college coach. But you have to constantly be on the grind and recruit and be talking to kids and, and try to get them to sell them on why they should come play for you instead of, you know, other teams in the Pac-12 if you're Jim Moore Jr. or why you should play for Nick Saban compared to, um, you know, some of the other SEC schools, Les Miles and, and Gauss Melzahn and, and, and Auburn. So I, I really think – uh, that it's a it's it's a little more difficult to be a college head coach than an NFL head coach. It is. I mean, look, NFL, you you get. I mean, you you know, you don't pick the players, you draft them or whatever. But it's different. It's a job. It's not. I don't think it's 365 days a year because there's no recruiting. College coaches are recruiting on their bye weeks. They're recruiting. Like this past Friday, Gus Malzahn missed. Uh, missed a lunch with the boosters and everything that they usually do every Thursday or Friday. And he, you know why, Cuervo? He was recruiting. This guy never sleeps. NFL coaches don't have that stress, and that's why I think coaching the NFL is a lot less stressful than coaching college. And look at Alabama where they were before Nick Saban came in there. I mean, they were a 5-7, and 6-6 six six team. Some years they might win seven or eight games, but when Nick Saban came into that program, he changed it. He changed the mentality of it. He got it back to winning and discipline and hard work and recruiting. Look at them. They're almost unbeatable. They're a dynasty right now, and it's because of the coach. Look at look at Gus Malzahn coming in. Look at Butch Jones now at Tennessee. I think you're going to start seeing a big change in these programs because of the coach. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, and that's another thing, too. You know, when you look at NFL teams, okay, the New England Patriots, were nothing before Tom Brady got there. And guess what? Bill Belichick was already the head coach. So <laughs> as much as we praise Belichick and things yeah. like that, and, and I'm not saying he's not a good coach. By no stretch of the imagination am I saying, Brian, that Bill Belichick is not a good head coach. He, he's a very good head coach. However, how successful – you have to take a step back and, and, and go back into memory lane – how successful were the New England Patriots in reality before Tom Brady took over that, that quarterback position? I can't remember. I'll put it to you that, like that. 
Drew, they weren't yeah, good. I'll put it to you like this, Brian. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback before Tom Brady. So that should tell you what you need to know. The Indianapolis Colts, okay? Jim Morrow Sr. was the coach there. They did nothing until Peyton Manning got there. So in the NFL, yes, it's about the players, okay? But in college football, it's about the head coach. Just like you said, you know, Alabama went from a 6-16, and barely making bowl games with Mike Shula as their head coach, to winning national titles with Nick Saban. Part of that was because, you know, I think it was Shula, wasn't it? The one that was too busy uh, hitting up strip clubs or whatever it was. And well, that, was uh, my, that was that was Mike Price, the the guy. He got hired. He flew to Tuscaloosa to take the job, and he got fired on his plane ride back. <laughs> wow, what a moron! But yeah, Shula was a Shula I mean, was a, a players' coach. You know, no discipline really. A real nice guy. And look, nice guys do not win championships. Trust me on that. Gene Chizik, uh, I'm telling you, Cam Newton won that championship. It wasn't to do with Gene Chizik. It was to do with Gus Malzahn. But if you're, you see national championships, usually you see coaches that are no-nonsense type of coaches. Oh, sure. And, I mean, you know, Les Miles is that guy. Nick Saban is that guy. I mean, I think to an extent, even Pete Carroll can be that guy. But I think, I think too, it was just more that, you know, I mean, he was, just, he was just running college football for, you know, a good three- to four-year stretch, and he was just getting all the players. I mean, if you would have put – I'll, I'll even say this. At that time, if somebody like Bob Stoops was the head coach at USC, they probably would have won three in a row. You put, you put a guy like Bob Stoops – in USC, I think I think USC would have won more, you know, because Bob wow. Stoops is not so much a players type coach. He, I, I mean, that's what I see. You know, he's more of a no nonsense, um, you know, discipline type guy. So, I, I think I think you put somebody like that at USC, he would probably would have been even more successful mm-hmm. than what Pete Carroll was. Well, you see people singing Pete Carroll's praises, but. You look at the talent he had at Southern Cal, and then at Seattle, he was really doing nothing until Russell Wilson came along. I mean, and now Pete Carroll's the best coach in football. You know, I mean, NFL, like you said, it's about the players. That's really what it's about. But in college, I, I will say, in college, if you're going to be an elite team, you really have to have a decent, a pretty good quarterback, unless you're just loaded like Alabama with the offensive line, the running game and stuff. Like A.J. McCarron went from a game manager to develop to a a real good quarterback, and I, I think in college, you know, you have to have a very good quarterback to win, really, to win the big games like that. But in the NFL, it's, it really is about your players, and the college is about your coaches. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say that, Brian. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just I don't even think you have to have a great quarterback. I think you just have to have the right quarterback in yeah, the system you're that right. you're using. So. You know, spread offense or whatever, it's just got to be the right guy. And, um, you know, because when you think about it, the past, you know, five national championship teams, out of those championship teams, which ones have truly been successful? Cam Newton's the only one I can think of, Brian, the past five years. Um, You know, you had McCarron the past two years. 
McElroy was was the quarterback when they beat Texas in the, in the uh, national title game, and then you had yeah. Cam Newton. So I mean, I, I don't even think it's I don't even think it's quarterback. It's just like I said. I mean, the system and it's, it's the coach. It, it's all about the head coach, in my opinion. Oh, I think you're right. I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I just see teams like I guess what I was thinking of are teams that aren't as talented. Um, so if you have a great quarterback, one player can change the way teams play and give everybody else confidence. But you're right. You have to have the right quarterback, the right fit for whatever system you're trying to do. And and that's what Alabama did. You know, they did, McElroy wasn't a great quarterback, but he was a smart game manager that did not make mistakes. And when he came into a game, you knew one thing. He was going to give the ball to the right person throw it to the right person, and he wasn't going to beat you with stupid mistakes. And I think you're right on that, Cuervo. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to have that over-the-top type quarterback. I mean, you know, you, you, you were hitting on it briefly uh, as far as, you know, the right type of quarterback. And I think you got to look at, you know, for a guy like Tim Tebow, for example, we all know what he is today, but, I mean, when you look back at his career at Florida, he didn't really put up the greatest numbers as far as throwing the ball is concerned. However, just because of his attitude and things like that, everybody around him played even harder than if, you know, somebody else, anybody else was the quarterback then. So I think – like you mentioned, I mean, sometimes you you know you, the right guy. It can't. It can be the system, or it could just be based on the type of player he is, or or whatever. But I mean, I, I don't even think you know Tim. Tim. What made Tim Tebow in reality was his running game. I mean, if you take a look at his passing game, it's it's average. You know, so. I think um, you know. Sometimes you look at you look at those stats, and it kind of you know, kind of it can be a little deceiving. But I mean, hell, it worked. They won a national title, so you know, it's just all about having the right quarterback and uh, head quarter, you know, quarterback and head coach. That the that 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 combo is what makes or breaks you. Well, Cuervo, just just a little bit, still on college football, of course. This is campus, but I just wanted uh, to see your thoughts about the BCS coming out this week, this Sunday night, and I just wanted to see your thoughts of before we before you start taking us through these games. What do you think about the pressure it's going to put on? Do you think teams are thinking about the BCS where they're going to be positioned this early, or do you think these teams are ignoring it? And how will it affect their play on the field tomorrow? Oh, I mean, you know, you can ask these these head coaches. Oh, are you thinking about it? They're going to say no, no, not at all. You know, just taking one game one game at a time. Bull crap. That's that's what I say. It, it's all BS. Of course, they're thinking about it, Brian. Um, and, and I don't even think Nick Saban or um, the Oregon head coach uh, Helfrich is thinking about where. They, I mean, they all they know they're going to be one and two. Oh. You got to think about guys like Dabo Sweeney over at Clemson. You got to think about 
uh, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. You got to think about Les Miles. You got to think about uh, Sumlin at A and M. Where they're, I'm sure they're wondering, man. Well, I wonder where we're going to be ranked. And I think Sumlin has probably got to be the most concerned of anybody because, you know, having a tough game like against a team like Auburn, if they're not on their game, I mean, even if they win by three, that that could drop them. Uh, of course, I mean, Clemson, excuse me, Clemson, Florida State's going to be a big game as well. That's why I didn't even mention that because that's, that's a given. But I think outside of those two, you know, A&M has probably got to be the most concerned. Is Clemson, Florida State, to you, the biggest game of the year so far? Um, I would, I mean, rank-wise, yeah. Um, however, I think, uh, you know, I think this, this Stanford-UCLA game is not getting enough attention, in my opinion. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the Pac-12, Tarvino, is trying to, you know, m- make a name for themselves um, as far as best conference in, in the country. And if UCLA loses this game, then they will, they will probably no longer have a team in the top ten. So, well, besides Oregon. But, I mean, what else, who else is representing the, you know, the, the Pac-12 besides Oregon? So I think I think UCLA Stanford is an important game just as much. Mhm. That's a good point. You know, that's a very good point. And if they lose, if UCLA loses, then that's going to knock them out. You know, because you know Oregon will take care of them later, and then Stanford's really hoping to beat Oregon, and things fall in place for them because people were comparing. And I know you might think I'm crazy, but I heard this that the Pac-12 North was just as good as the SEC West. And and then after they said that, after Stanford got patted on the back, how how good they were, Utah beat them. So I think in order to be considered the best, you have to be able to handle the pressure of being the best. And I don't think the Pac-12 is there yet. You saw it with Oregon last year. They choked. Once Alabama lost, they couldn't handle the pressure. You saw Stanford now doing it. I don't think the Pac-12 is the best conference because they can't show they're the best conference. They can't. They can't step up in crunch time. No, not really. I mean, you think about it, Brian. The last time they were in an SEC or in a um, in a, a national championship game, um, and, and I know you remember, so I'm going to let you answer this question. Last time the Pac-12 was in a national championship game, they lost. Did they not? Yep, Auburn beat Oregon, twenty-two to nineteen, and this is a team that was averaging like 55 points a game. And they got dominated. And then the next year they played LSU, and they got dominated. So every time the Pac-12 is on a stage, a big stage against a a non-conference opponent, especially the SEC, they get skull drug, Cuervo. That's the best term I can use. I mean, they can't play big boy football. And everybody thinks of Oregon, and and they do look good, but – could you imagine you give Nick Saban a month to prepare for Oregon and get those those younger players that are on that team another month of experience, how they would do Oregon? I mean, I think it would be a repeat of, of, of what you see every year when the Pac-12 plays someone big. Absolutely. And, I mean, that and that's what, and that's what I think really gave Auburn a huge edge 
over Oregon. I mean, if it was something where the wait was only a week or two, I think Oregon would have had a good chance. You know, and I know you you probably don't want to hear that, Brian, oh, but oh, I, I believe I you. Oregon, I believe you. Yeah, I yeah, think I believe Oregon had a, would have had a real good chance of beating Auburn. But you gave, I, and I won't even say Gene Chizik. I'll say uh, Malzahn <laughs> and whoever their defensive coordinator was at the time. Uh, you gave them all that time to study LaMichael James and study, you know, that offense. And, you know, you give them enough time, they're going to figure out, oh, okay, I see a weakness here, I see a weakness here. Uh, let's go ahead and attack that. And, um, you know, as far as the line is concerned up front, you know, at the time Auburn had the perfect guy to disrupt that line with Nick Fairley, and it showed in the game. So, um, you know, just the fact that you give an SEC team so much time to prepare, even if it is a high, you know, high-powered offense like the Oregon Ducks, it's not going to happen. There's just too many – too much speed, too too many athletes that these that SEC teams have, Brian, and nobody else can compete with that. I'm sorry, they just can't. Yeah, and you know what the SEC did when they saw these teams start? You know, the SEC used to be big, strong, uh, slow, physical football, and and when they started seeing these teams like Ohio State going out and getting these track stars trying to and changing, well, the SEC, what they did was added speed to their team. Instead of big big and strong, they got big, strong, and fast. And when you put that combination together, it's uh, they're unbeatable. And football, I don't care what anybody tells you, and it's cliche, but it's one at the line of scrimmage. Any football game you see, if Oregon has a good offensive line, and a good schemer, they wouldn't be able to do what they do. But the problem is, is when they run up against a team that's that's faster and bigger and stronger, you can't win the, the point of contact, Cuervo. And that's what – Auburn was a sixth or seventh-ranked defense in the SEC out of 12 that year, and they shut that offense down, really, when they wanted to. I mean, Oregon's going to get their yards. Don't get me wrong. People – offense like that, they're going to run their plays. They're going to get some yardage, get some momentum. But at the end of the day – these big physical linemen on both sides of the ball wins the game. And, and that's why I give Auburn a good shot tomorrow against A&M. A&M reminds me of a, an Oregon-type team. They, they can score a lot of points. They can't play defense. But all of a sudden, you get a team in there with a depth and a big physical line on both sides of the ball, and you can run the football. You can beat them. And I think everybody's overlooking that A&M game, and they're not looking at the, the lines on these these teams, Cuervo, and I think people get deceived in that. They they look at Johnny Manziel, they look at oh how flashy he is, how they score points, but at the end of the day, how did your offensive and defensive lines do? That's a key to every game to me. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean that's that's where everything starts, you know, is is up front. So especially I mean you give you give AJ McCarron time to throw the ball. He's gonna he's gonna hurt you. You give um, you know some of these other big time quarterbacks time to throw. You know they're gonna hurt you. So it's it, it's no different in the SEC compared to other teams, other conferences. And I mean that. And if you remember right, and I you know I'm sure everybody remembers this, Brian, but. What do you think made USC so successful? 
yeah, they had good teams and they had good players and things like that. But I think I could count on one hand the whole time Matt Leiner was at USC, how many times he got hit. On one hand, I could probably count it. I mean, that's how that's how that's why they were so dominant because that offensive line was full of all Americans and Matt Leiner didn't even get his uniform. He never got it dirty, so I don't even think they they washed it after games. So. That's what made USC so great. You know, here he go Reggie Bush, and he did he, he did what he does. But Matt Leiner, I I rarely saw that guy get hit. And so you're right. I mean, it's all about linemen. It's all about protection. It's all about getting to the quarterback. Yep, and it's never it's never gonna change. I don't think that part of football ever is ever gonna change. The teams that can win the line of scrimmage is gonna win football games and. So that's just the way it's always going to be. But if you can ever, if Oregon can ever figure out a combination of where they can run this style, Cuervo, and, and get big, big linemen that's very physical, then we'll talk about Oregon more and, and be a little more serious about them. But until then, until they show me they can beat an SEC powerhouse in a championship game, I just cannot believe them. I mean, I, I want to. Trust me, I want to believe in Oregon. And believe, I mean, they're a good football team. I'm not taking anything away from them. But until they beat Alabama or until they beat LSU or, or anyone from a big conference with big players, I just can't buy into them, Cuervo. I'm just not ready to yet. Yeah, and I mean, Oregon, yes, they destroyed, you know, Tennessee earlier this year. Uh, well, first of all, the game was at home. Second of all, um, Tennessee had their backup quarterback playing. And third, you know, Tennessee is not – they're not the SEC elite. I, I think we all know that by now. They're just not the elite of the conference. So, I mean, with that being said, I just think, you know, everybody looks in, at that game and they're like, oh, well, you know, well, we already beat an SEC team. Yes, but, I mean, that's like that's like playing against a Big, a big Ten team. That's like playing Minnesota and saying, well, we beat a Big Ten team. I mean, the, the Play the best of the best. You know, well, again, Cuervo, it's week to week. Best. It's week to week those games are, and that's different. Like you said, you give on a neutral territory with some time to prepare, Tennessee would have been a lot closer in that game. But let's not forget Tennessee's rebuilding right now. They're, that, that was early. That was, what, the third week of the season? I mean, that, that shouldn't even yes. count almost. That shouldn't even – so I, I'd say this. If you let Tennessee play a whole 12-game season – get some experience, have a whole month to prepare, you'd see a lot different game in a neutral territory than you saw in Eugene, Oregon, the third week of the season. And you're right. I mean, what I'm saying, though, uh, Brian, is, you know, for those Pac-12 fans, those Oregon fans that are like, well, you know, for, you know they, they, they get offended when we say things like, oh, we'll beat an SEC team. Oh, well, we beat Tennessee at home by – you know, 45 points. Okay. okay. First of all, again, Tennessee is not elite competition. I'm sorry, they're not. You know, as far as SEC concerned, they're not the worst, but they're not. They're not top tier either anymore, like they used to be. They're just a name now. They're they're not the product. Uh, it doesn't match the name. Second, you know, like you said, it was the beginning of the year, and they're still rebuilding. Put uh, play LSU. See how Oregon does against LSU. See how Oregon does against Texas A&M. See how Oregon does, and we'll probably could very possibly see it 
see how Oregon will do against Alabama. Then Oregon fans can talk what they want to talk if Oregon goes out there and beats those teams by 20. Yeah, I mean, it's like people, that that does irritate me too when top power conf- or top teams from a major conference are beating the eighth-ranked team of a conference and beating their chest saying, see, we beat an SEC team. No, I mean, if you look at bowl games every year, it's like the second team from the Big Ten playing the sixth from the SEC, and the SEC beats them. And then if they don't, and then, and then if they don't, it's just like, well, I mean, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted there. I apologize. But uh, it's just one of those things where if you want to compare apples to apples, we can do that. But you can't compare apples to apples. It's not apples to apples when you're, second team in your conference is playing the seventh and eighth team from another one. You can't compare it that way, Cuervo. No, you can't. And I mean, I mean, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like saying, you know, like in the NFL, uh, that's the, the, a, the AFC's best against the NFC's best. However, you're not getting the best team in reality if it's the Broncos against, let's say, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. And, I, and we saw that game happen earlier this year. Well, see, the AFC is better. Well, that's because you had your best team in your conference play against an average team in our conference, you know, in the NFC. So, I don't know, I just, I just, I just feel like it's premature to, to – you know, for Pac-12 fans to say, well, you know, we're right there with the SEC. I, I just let the bowl games speak for themselves. You know, depending on how many Pac-12 versus SEC matchups we get, which I hope there's a lot of them. I really do. I, I, I wish there was a way to, you know, fix it up to where we get, you know, two to three, like, really good, um, you know, Pac-12, SEC. Like, I would love to see – I'll tell you a game I would love to see. I would love to see Stanford versus LSU. I think that would be a phenomenal game. I mean, you're talking about second to third best team in the Pac-12 against second to third best team in the SEC. So Stanford-LSU would be a great matchup. Okay. I think another good matchup would probably be UCLA versus Texas A&M. That would be another great game. You're talking about Manziel versus... UCLA's sophomore quarterback, sophomore quarterbacks going at it against each other. You know who, who's who's the the next big thing going into their junior year. So I think that would make for a great headline. And of course, I'm not even going to talk about you know Alabama, Oregon. We all know about that. But I think those those two games would be very very interesting, and that would be great if we could somehow get those in bowl season. And, and and I'm not saying that Oregon couldn't beat Alabama. I'm, and I'm just tired of hearing the fan bases running their mouth with the hatred of an SEC. And it's not Alabama, it's the SEC. Well, until you beat one of these teams in the game that matters, shut up. You might do it, then you can talk all you want. But until you do it, please just shut up and wear your pink helmets, please. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean... I, I can see. I mean, it's for a good cause. I mean, I, don't don't get me wrong. It is for a good cause. However, 
Um, black and pink, I don't know. I don't know about that combo, Tarvino. That's, that's a little too much for me. Yeah, that's um, – come on, Oregon. You can, you can wear pink socks or something, but not pink helmets. Come on, guys. That's an embarrassment. Yeah, well, you know, you know how it is. Oregon's they always have to go over the top because you know Phil Knight is an Oregon graduate, and for those who don't know, Phil Knight is the CEO of Nike, who is an Oregon alumni. So that's why they get hooked up with six thousand different uniform combinations. So, <laughs> but these pink these pink helmets are are. are I think they've gone a little too far, Brian, with that. Yeah, I think so. And Cuervo, I'm only going to be able to stay on probably another half hour. Um, if that's all right with you, and if you want to go ahead and start your game, let's rock and roll real quick. And maybe I can stay on until um, after 10. I'll try my best to. But you want to go ahead and get rolling on these games, or do you want to – what do you want to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're on a time crunch, Brian, let's go ahead and – you know, let's start getting into these games. Well, let's roll. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I, I like to start from the bottom. You know, I don't like to talk about the big games right off the bat. I know. I noticed you do the same thing. So um, <laughs> you kind of got to. Yeah, you get. You have to kind of work your way up to the big games. But uh, quick update for you baseball guys out there, by the way. Bottom of the third, Cardinals up one nothing. And um looks like I don't know, looks like they might close it out tonight. Yeah, I think they will. Yeah, I I don't I don't see the I and I'm surprised too. I just I mean, where did the Dodgers offense go? I mean they were scoring six, seven runs a game going into the playoffs and now, you know, because they face some good pitching, it's like you know, uh, that stuff disappeared all of a sudden, so yeah, it makes you wonder. But um let's see. I think the first game we should talk about, Tarvino, is TCU Oklahoma State. Um, now TCU, I mean, the, the three and three. I, I just, I just feel like it's kind of a down year if you really think about it for for the Horn Frogs. Go and now they go to Stillwater, and they got to face an offense that's, um, you know, putting up big big time numbers. I'm talking you know, scoring 38 points a game um, and really just, you know, playing a lot of, you know, offense. They're putting up big numbers, Brian. So when you look at TCU and Oklahoma State, I mean, what are some keys to TCU staying competitive in reality? Well, first of all, they can't go three and out a lot. And, and I kind of have a feeling that's not be what they try to do. And they can't turn the ball over. You go on the road and you're playing a team that can score at will, you have to match them. You can't turn the ball over. You can't give them short fields. You can't go three and out. And I think it's going to be a competitive game till about the fourth quarter, Cuervo, honestly. And I just don't think TCU's there yet. You're right. This is a down year for them. They've really underachieved. And I think it started – you know, playing that tough SEC as an LSU team. It's just like you start 0-1. It's just hard to motivate these guys after that. They work all spring, all summer, all fall for this, and now they lost. So TCU was a little overrated going into the season. They were ranked. 
And I think it was they were ranked because they played in a team on national television. They wanted to pump it up. But TCU is not at the level of Oklahoma State right now. No, you're right, Brian. I mean, at, a, at one point they were, but that's when Andy Dalton was their quarterback, you know, back, you know TCU. So, but, I mean, that's it's been three years now since Dalton moved on to the NFL. And, um I just I just don't see TCU as being that team anymore as far as being able to compete with Big 12 teams and I mean if I think if TCU would have moved to the Big 12 3 years ago when Dalton was their quarterback I mean they they this would have made a much better game but um, you know, it's 2013 now, and uh, I think Oklahoma State wins. And I, like you said, I mean, I think fourth quarter it'll probably be a seven, maybe a ten-point game. But I think after, you know, after the start of the fourth quarter, Brian, I think Oklahoma State, you know, puts another six on the board. They go up by 17, and they they close the door on TCU. So I like I like Oklahoma State at home. What's the point spread on that game? You said. It looks like it is, um, I want to say seven and a half. Yeah, something somewhere around there. See, I thought it would be a little higher than that, being in Stillwater. But we have to remember, Oklahoma State lost to West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia is bad. They suck. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And I mean, but that but was, every uh, team's gonna have I mean, a game that, like that. Every everybody's gonna have a bad game. And when, when you're not, yeah. Oklahoma State's the Oklahoma State of old. Either they're not as good as what people thought. But you play bad, you can lose any given Saturday, and that's what Oklahoma State. Very shocking that they've they've lost a game up to this point in the season, right now. Yeah, and just to just to uh, you know confirm. Uh, Oklahoma State is favored by seven and a half. The over under is only fifty one, Brian. That that's kind of interesting, wouldn't you say? Only a fifty one over under. Yeah, usually games with Oklahoma State involved are like in the seventies. Yeah, because I mean, I, I mean, Oklahoma State they could probably put up fifty one on TCU by themselves. So I find that pretty interesting. So. All right, um, so I think we're both in agreement on that one, Brian, that uh, Oklahoma State will probably easily take care of TCU. Um, next one I'm looking at is uh, Washington going to Arizona State. Um, I, I think Washington, you know, recently going down against uh, Oregon last week, and, I mean, Brian, I mean, 45 to 24, <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but that – 21-point loss against Oregon is kind of respectable, wouldn't you say? Well, mm, you're at home. You have a chance of game day there. I don't think it's respectable. I mean, they played well. Don't get me wrong. After the, I mean, Oregon finally scored at the end to make it to pull away from them. I guess so, but I think there's so much out of this team now. Playing Stanford and Oregon back-to-back weeks, and now you have to go to the desert. And play an Arizona State team that's unpredictable. But if Arizona State shows up and Washington doesn't, I believe Arizona State will win this football game. And that's why I'm picking Arizona State. I think they're a slight favorite in this game. I think they beat Washington just because of the beating Stanford and Oregon's put on Washington in the last two weeks. 
Yeah, I, I like Oregon State or, uh, or uh, Arizona State as well, Brian. I, I don't think Washington, like like you said, I mean, it, it's an inflating loss in reality last week. You had you had game day there, um, and you go out there and, and you lose by three touchdowns to Oregon. Um, you know, it, it's it is it's it's very deflating. And to answer your question, the spread on this one. If I can find it, I know I've, I just I saw three. it. It is. I think it's three. It is. Oh no, wrong game. Let's see. Why am I not seeing it? Am I? Oh, here we go. It is Arizona State by three and a half. So it's. I don't know if it went up a half a point or what, but I've got it as Arizona State minus three and a half. That sounds right. I mean, I, honestly, I would think if Washington was going to win that game, they would be favored. I think it's kind of odd that they're underdogs in this game. Well, I think, you know, Vegas is probably looking at some of the same things that we are. First of all, you know, Washington is probably mentally, you know, down on themselves right now, especially with the opportunity that they had to really make a statement in the conference, uh, they they just they came up short. They just they didn't get the job done. And on top of that, I mean, it's it's an afternoon game, but it's going to wind up finishing at nighttime. And we all as, as we all like to talk about night games on the road, Tarvino. I mean, that that always smells, you know, upset. So. Yeah, and um, I think that's how play to play, place to play. I mean, that's not an easy place to go and and expect to win. Those fans are hostile. The team plays better. Arizona State's not a road team. We know that. But when they're in the desert, weird things happen. That's Wisconsin. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to make sure that you kneel the ball too. But or however that game ended, I forgot. But um, yeah, no, you're right though. I mean, it. Arizona State is is not they're they're just a, they're they're like the Seattle Seahawks. They're a good home team, just not very good on the road. So, um and, and I mean and it shows in their in their you know, in their in their schedule. I mean they they are they've lost all they've lost one game at home. As a matter of fact, they've only played one road game. Can you believe that, Brian? I mean they played six games, and only one of them has been on the road, and that was at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And they Same for Auburn. Game Same for Auburn. They, they played won. LSU on the road. That's the only team they played away from Jordan-Hare Stadium until tomorrow. Wow. I mean, some some teams just get – they get hooked up with, you know, with home games. But, um, yeah, after, I mean, after tomorrow night, though, they, they've got two home games – or two road games in a row at Washington State at Utah – Come back home for for the uh, Oregon State game, then they go back out to the road at the Rose Bowl against UCLA and finish it out at home against Arizona. So, in reality, they only played four road games this year, and uh, you know that's uh, I mean Arizona State can really take they should take they need to take advantage of that. In reality, I mean they need to take advantage of the fact that they have so many home games and. I think it all starts tomorrow night against this Washington team. So I think we both like Arizona State in this game, Brian. 
Yeah, I like them a lot. It's poor scum. Yeah, so, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. <laughs> I think I'm gonna put a couple of dollars on that one. But uh, all right, so we'll, we got that one taken care of. Uh, next up, I'm looking at. Even though West Virginia is not very good, I just want, I want to talk about Texas Tech for a minute. I mean, I look at what's going on over there with you know their new head coach Kingsbury and things like that. I mean, they're six and zero right now, Brian, and they're number sixteen in the nation. Does that surprise you at all, as far as uh, Tech is concerned? Um, it does, but again, they haven't played anybody, and I think now is when you're going to start seeing them starting to play opponents that can beat them, and and I wouldn't be surprised if if West Virginia takes care of them this weekend. Texas Tech always starts out strong. Have you noticed that? Seems like they always start out five and zero or something, and then the the bottom falls out. Why do you think Tommy Tupper will take off running? He knows what that team's like. He knows how it goes. He's not stupid. Now, he's smart. He's a weasel, but he's he's not stupid. So I'm, I'm thinking Texas Tech's about to start getting into their schedule and losing some games. I, I'm not shot where they are right now. I think they are a little overrated, though. Yeah, I'm looking at their schedule, and, and I mean, I, can, I, I definitely see what you're talking about. After tomorrow, Brian, I could very easily I, – I think it could easily happen where – they may not lose. They may not win another game after tomorrow night against West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I'm serious. I mean, they go to Oklahoma, okay? Then they play Oklahoma State at home. They play Kansas State. They play K State at home, and you never know. K State, they can you know hit you with that left hook at any given time. All right. Then they play Baylor, who averages about 900 points a game. And then they, they're at Texas. So, you know, I think the, that – and speaking of Texas, well, I'll touch on Texas real fast. That win against Oklahoma, first of all, it shocked the hell out of me last week. I did not expect – or I did not expect Texas to even be in that game, Brian. I mean, if me you neither. remember – On your show last Wednesday, I even put it in the chat room. I said Oklahoma's going to win 66 to 20 or whatever it was. <laughs> I, I really didn't think I, – I really didn't think Texas had any chance at all against Oklahoma. And, I didn't, I didn't you either. Know, I, Usually I can smell these, Cuervo. We can smell these from a mile away, but I think this one snuck up on everyone. I don't care who you are, how big your IQ is, nobody expected Texas to – to stand up and play like that. It's not that they didn't have talent. It's just how in the world did Mac Brown motivate these guys? I didn't see it coming. And I, if I had it to do 100 times over again, I would have picked Oklahoma Cuervo. Oh, I would have too. And, I mean, you know, I, I don't think – I think if they were to play again tomorrow, I'd probably pick Oklahoma again. I, I, just, I just don't have enough confidence in Texas this year. But, I mean, let me ask you real quick, Brian, and then, and then we'll uh, move on to the next game because I think you and I both agree Texas Tech will probably win this game. But um, what do you think motivated Texas to win this game? I mean, do you think they were just tired of all the rumors of Mac Brown should be fired and, and you know, Texas football, is, you know, they're not what they used to be and – yeah, you know, there's all the criticism that Texas has been getting the past month or so. 
I mean, do you think they just got fed up with it and they were just like, you know what, let's go out there and beat the hell out of these guys? And <laughs> some way, somehow, they actually did it. But I mean, what do you think motivated Texas to to go out there and look look like the old Texas football that we're used to seeing? Well, I think they got tired of seeing their coach out there taking the blame for what was happening on the field and getting just butchered and like. Are you going to be fired? When are they going to leave? And then you look on ESPN every time, and it's like Iowa State should have beaten Texas. Texas cheated, and and they got away with it. And I think at some point, these are talented individuals. They finally found something that they needed to. They finally found fight inside of them, and they fought for someone else besides themselves. They fought for their coach. They fought for their team, and that's the turning point. Texas could easily run the table and and make a BCS game because they win their conference. I don't think it's going to happen, but they finally were uh, they were unselfish and they played unselfish football. And I, I was very happy to see that because how do you not like Mac Brown? I mean, he's your granddad, really, to these kids. I mean, how do you not like this guy and respect him? He stands for everything that's right. He does he does things the right way, in my opinion, and he's just a great man. And I think they finally woke up and started playing hard for him because they didn't want to see him fired like that. Yeah, and and I think that really says a lot about the character of the players. I mean, when you go out there and you play hard for your coach, and if it is the fact that they you know they said to themselves, you know what, we're tired of our coach getting the blame. In my opinion, it's like, wow, holy cow, you've got players that are actually taking accountability for themselves. Who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and you don't see that very often, but I think that shows the maturity of, of the leadership of, of this football team. I mean, take, I mean and, and I'm totally taking away Mac Brown from the equation. I'm just talking about players. You know, somebody finally took on that leadership role and said, guys, you know, we need to, we need to get coaches uh, ass, you know, from getting grilled so much. You know, it's not his <laughs> fault. We're the ones that are going out there and, and screwing it up. So, I mean, you have to give a ton of credit to those players for whoever it was that decided to take accountability and say, you know what, this is not our coach's fault we're the ones that have to go out there and make it happen. And, and, and you know, that this could, this could be the, you know, the 180 that Texas was looking for, and we could see a totally different, you know, Texas Longhorns football team the rest of the season. And, you know, for people to say, well, it's too late, it's too late, look at their schedule, Brian. They still have to play Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Those are, the, those are their last three games of the season. And they are all top 20 teams. Oklahoma State's 21st, yeah. but close enough. It's close enough. So, I mean, they have a chance to, you know, finish the season in the top 25 and get themselves in a decent bowl game. Yeah, I, I just want to give kudos to Mac Brown, too. I mean, you have to be a strong individual and have a lot of faith to make it through this, I mean, not, there you, you could you could circle any game on that schedule that that he would want to win. It was Oklahoma. 
They've struggled the last few years against Oklahoma. They've been embarrassed. And it's kind of like the Iron Bowl. You know, you have to, 365 days a year, you have to listen to it from these fans. But the way he stood up, he didn't hide. He he, he confronted the media. Hell, he was on Colin Coward uh, just a couple days before the game. And Cuervo, I should have taken notes when I listened to him talk. He had a confidence about him. There was something different about Mac Brown. And, I just want to give him kudos for riding the ship and, and getting these guys playing the way they should. And I mean, he can't go out there and, and block. He can't go out there and tackle. I mean, this is a team that gave up 600 rushing yards or 500 and something rushing yards to BYU, and he got beat by 21 points at home against Ole Miss or Ole Piss, whatever you want to call them. And he rebounded <laughs> and beat Oklahoma. He didn't beat Wyoming. He didn't beat Utah State. He beat Oklahoma, an undefeated team in the top ten, really. I think they were right on the cusp of it. But that's a big signature win for him. And it, they have the talent, Cuervo, to be favored in every game they play. But can they play with that same intensity after a big win? How mature is this team? We're about to find out. Well, sure. And, I mean, uh, I mean, they, they do get – they're not playing this week. However, they get an extra week to prepare for TCU. And – I mean, I, I really, I really don't think that's going to be enough of a measure as far as you know. Can Texas turn it around? I mean, their next real challenge is November sixteenth against Oklahoma State. But I mean, regardless, you have to go out there. You know, you have to go out there and play the game that's on your schedule and win. So, but I mean, yes, I think I think Mac Brown having the faith and things like that. Um, I think another thing, too, about Mac Brown, you know, you said, you know, really showed a lot of strength as far as, you know, not losing faith and not giving up on his players either. I mean, yep. I, think, I, think that's what, I think that's what really triggered in their heads is despite, despite hearing all the criticism and things like that, um, you know, he probably – is Mac Brown seems like the type of, of coach that he's a creature of habit. So I would imagine he probably didn't, you know, despite all the criticism, things like that, he still went out there and he prepared for every game the same way. And I think, I think the players saw that and they're like, you know, coach isn't giving up on us. You know, he, he believes that we can still be a good football team. Guys, let's go out there and, and let's win for him. And, I think that's what you saw, especially, you know, obviously last week. And they didn't beat Oklahoma by three. They didn't beat them by six. They didn't beat them by ten. They beat them by 16 <laughs> points. So They dominated. I mean, that, dominated. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm, sure, I'm sure watching the game was probably – it probably showed a lot differently than the scoreboard. I mean, I didn't get to watch this game, Brian, so you could probably tell me, fill me in on how it looked on the field, but – I mean, when was the last time Texas beat Oklahoma by 16 points? And I'm just going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, they should have because Texas, if you look at Oklahoma's roster compared to, to Texas, I mean, from top to bottom, I think Texas is more talented than every position, really. And I think it showed. They finally played like that. If this same Texas team would have showed up all season, they would be undefeated in the national championship discussion. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, as far as you know, national championship. I mean, 
Boy, if it wasn't for BYU and Ole Miss, I mean, who knows? Who yeah. knows? I mean, they, Wait, they, think they, about they it. Think about it. If they, were undefe- if they were undefeated and they just beat their rival, a top-ten team, Oklahoma, like that on a neutral site, you would have to have them up in the top five. I mean, there's – there's no doubt. I think Texas, remember when they started in the top ten, I think, in preseason, I laughed about it because I didn't think Mac Brown deserved to be there. And, and Cuervo, there's still some people saying that that Oklahoma win did nothing to save Mac Brown's job. Um, depending on how the season goes, I mean, if they win, you know, when maybe they lose one more game in the year, I think Mac Brown saved his job. How are you going to get rid of a coach that beat Oklahoma and finished nine and three or something. You can't fire a coach for that after what he went through. I don't think you can. Can you? Well, I mean, it'd be hard to. I mean, you can you can argue it both ways in reality. But I tell you, you know, the past three years haven't treated Texas football good at all. Um, you know, you you look at you look at their past seasons. I mean. In 2012, um, they had seven losses. In 2011, they had five losses. Last year, they lost four games. Or yeah, four games. So it's the the standard is just hasn't been there, and that's I think that's the biggest thing right now as far as them pushing Mac Brown out. Now, if they can somehow, you know, go the rest of the season with losing maybe one more game, that's the best season they've had in four years. So that is a positive thing. You know, if, if you're a Texas fan that wants Mac Brown to stick around, that, that's your argument right there. Hey, we've had the best season, even, even though it was three losses, but it's the best season they've had in four seasons. Yeah. So, and, and how do you let him go with unless you have a Nick Saban type coach out there ready to take the job? I don't think you fire. Well, that Mac. rumor's already flying, Brian. That rumor's already started. Yeah, but I mean, I don't see Nick Saban leaving. There's a lot of money. I mean, there's no money like Texas. Let me put it that way. That oil money in Texas, these guys have cash rolling, and I know some stories from Will Muschamp. I know someone that talks to him on a regular basis and Will Muschamp would go to a little dinner out there somewhere and just like a little country club thing and somebody handed him a bag of $25,000 in cash. It's a great game. I mean, Texas can pay a coach anything they want. There's nobody in the country can match them, but unless you have it guaranteed that, hey, we're going to fire Mac Brown and Nick Saban, you're going to be our new head coach, you don't want to end up firing Mac Brown and not getting the coach you want, and all of a sudden you have Lane Kiffin there at your school or something. So you have to be careful if you're Texas and play it smart. I mean, Mac Brown's not stupid. I don't think they're going to end up firing Mac Brown. I think he's going to step down. Well, when you see him step down, you'll know that that was coming. But you don't fire a coach that's done everything for Texas the right way. Uh, I don't think they've ever been on probation uh, they've won a national championship. They've been a 10-win team for the most part. Last few years, they've struggled. You're right. But you don't fire him, do you, Cuervo, unless you have the ace in the hole and you guarantee to have that signature, really. Well, not, and not just that, but, I mean, I, I just think it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths as far as your program is concerned. Anytime a program fires a big-time head coach, Brian, you know, you, you look at years past, 
programs are never the same. You know, you have to allow that coach to make that choice on his own. You know, as much as I hate the University of Florida, I mean, you know, they, they waited for Urban Meyer to give that position up instead of, hey, we're going to let you go and we're moving in another direction. Because anytime you do that, it never, it never winds up working out in your favor. Think about it. Florida State, they're just now becoming relevant again after it's, it's been, what, four years or so since, since uh, you know, Bobby Bowden stepped down. And, I mean, you know, step down, quote, unquote. I, I just – I don't know how much I've I, – and I wish Jonathan was here. He could definitely uh, shed a better light on it. But I, I just don't know if I buy into that he really stepped down on his own. Um, you know, obviously the Penn State mess, I mean, I, I don't really think it's fair to to compare that incident with, you know, Texas. But, I mean, again, regardless, it's Joe Paterno and they fired him. And I, don't, I think it's going to be a long time before Penn State is, is a decent football team again. So, I, I don't know, I just I – just, I just feel like whenever you fire a big time coach, hell, even right, you know, right in Knoxville, you know, you fired Philip Fulmer, which at the time I felt was the right thing to do, but boy, oh boy, it, it just hasn't worked out yet for Tennessee. I mean, you you fire a coach like that, and it's just it's hard to replace him, and that, and that just proves once again, Brian, that. In college football, it's all about your head coach as far as how successful you're going to be. Yeah, you're right. The only time I see it working out was when Auburn fired Tuberville, and the next year they won eight games and they won a national championship. But you're right, Cuervo. It doesn't work out much like that. It doesn't – it takes years sometimes to rebuild something like that, especially a high-profile coach. I mean, Philip Fulmer was a high-profile coach that did a lot for Tennessee. And, man, it's, they just haven't rebounded. Do you wish – do you regret that, that Tennessee fired Philip Fulmer when they did? When they, at the time when it happened, actually, no. I, I, was, I was one of those that felt like he was ready, that it was, re- it was time for him to go. I really do. And, and a lot of people were like, well, you're – you know, they're going to regret it. And, and, you know, then they hired Lane Kiffin, and uh, I was like, well, there you go. That's the guy that they needed. And then, you know, that that punk ass, he bailed over to USC. And, but look where he's at now. I mean, look where he's at now. He could have stayed in Knoxville, and who knows what Tennessee would be like. But um, everything happens for a reason, though. I like, I like Butch Jones so far as Tennessee's coach. And, I mean, but – Honestly, I'll be honest with you, Brian, yes. I was one of those that felt like Fulmer needed to go at the time. Yeah, he, he was a coach, and they had to at the time. But you got to be careful what you wish for sometimes, or you could end up like Tennessee did. And, you know, Fulmer, I mean, all he would do is win nine or ten games, and that's the standard of Tennessee at the time, Cuervo. It was – win big and win all the time and you can't do that in college football it, it, it cycles you saw 
Florida go through it. You've seen Alabama go through it. It's just so many things that happen. One thing that you want to stay stay consistent is coaching. And and but when you get stagnant, and I think that's where Philip Fulmer uh, took that team. He was stagnant. He wasn't as hungry, just like Tuberville. I think Tennessee made the right choice to to fire him, but I just don't think they. I think they fired him without having that coach that that could lead them after that. That's the biggest part. Who are you going to hire in place of the one you fired? Oh well, right. And I mean that's that's the big thing with Texas. I think honestly, Brian, I'll be honest. I think that's why Texas hasn't fired Mac Brown yet, is because. They haven't answered that question yet as far as, well, who the hell is going to replace him? If we let this guy go, what are we going to do? I mean, we can only beg Gary Patterson down in TCU so much (laughs) to come up to Austin. It's his decision whether he wants to do it or not. We can only, you know, know, try to start that rumor so much about Nick Saban coming to Texas. It's going to be up to him. And, again, with three national championships going for a fourth, it, it's going to be hard to pull him out of there. So as soon as Texas answers that question of, okay, this is who we're going to replace with Mac Brown, I think you could see him, you know, walk out, you know, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be cleaning his office, you know, right then and there. And I'll tell you what, USC is going to, they're going to even take a step back even farther. I mean, it was as much as I don't like Lane Kiffin, Brian. I think just the 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 quick reaction to fire him like that, without even thinking about who's going to replace him, USC's not going to. They're they're going to be they're going to be garbage for the next five years, in my opinion. And, yeah, and, you you're know, right. Ed not a coach. To, I mean, really, seriously, they they beat a team that they should have beat the other night, and they act like Ed Orgeron was the best coach in the world, and that Lane Kiffin was just a scrub. I mean, what a bunch of idiots. You're right. I mean, fired him in the middle of a season like that. What did you accomplish, really? Well, I mean, USC hasn't accomplished Jack, you know, in, in the past. Well, since Pete Carroll's left. Since Pete Carroll has left, uh, you know, USC hasn't done anything. So, <laughs> well, they had a ten-win season once, six... I believe. One time. Uh, well, yeah, but what did they do with that season, though? They didn't do anything. I don't even think they won their their bowl game. No, they were. No, they were. No, that was the year they were. They were. Yep, exactly. They beat Oregon. Remember, it was like thirty-eight to thirty-five. They beat Oregon. And but I mean those guys had so much talent. I mean, how could you not win with that team? For him to lose two games was an upset in a way. Even if you're on probation, the talent he had, he had Matt Barkley, he had all of those receivers and running backs, the one of the best defenses in the country, and he still couldn't coach it. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> uh but I, I think see it gets even worse in my opinion and uh well, you know that that's that's the end of it for the Trojans, I guess. But um, yeah, to, to fire him like that, I just I just think it was it was such a rational decision. It was it was too judgmental. I mean, I would have gave I would have you know gave him to the end of the season. Like, 
we're just letting you know you're not coming back next year, but we're going to give you the opportunity to promote yourself to get another head coaching job somewhere. So we're going to let you coach the rest of the year. Like, they didn't even let him do that. I'm just like, wow. But, you know, that's that's I guess that's USC for you. Hey, hey, Cuervo, are you set up on Sunday's show yet, or do you want to stay on this one? Because um, Jonathan Jonathan's going to relieve me. That way you have a college football junkie to talk with you here. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. So, I mean, is yeah, the show um, set up on Sunny's channel? Did you set it up earlier, or do you need to do that, or do y'all just want to use mine? Um, no, I, I mean, we could switch over to uh, Sonny's uh, program. I had something set up, but I saw how long you were going, so I figured, you know. No, let's just, just stay on this panel. Let's just stay here. I'm going to extend it out. <clears throat> I'm going to extend the show out to three hours. Yeah, well, I mean, if you got to go, Brian, I can I can set something up for, you know, 30 minutes or half an hour on Sonny's, on Sonny's program. That way you have the freedom to jump on okay. and off whenever you need to. Okay, if you can do that, that'll be great. And the call-in number, um, if you want to give that real quick, it's, uh, I don't know if you have it off the top of your head. I'm going to send it. Jonathan's on here right now. And um, Yeah. Do you have that call-in number? Yeah, I, I got yeah, I got it. It's um, it's a three four seven two one five seventy four ninety seven. So, uh, anybody that wants to jump in, uh, is there a way to start it right away, or do I have to wait till uh, ten thirty uh, Eastern time? Well, go ahead and go ahead and set it up for ten thirty, and use my channel. Jonathan's on right now. If y'all y'all just talk online till ten thirty, and I'll come back on and uh, y'all can switch over real quick. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Y'all are going to be on this channel until 1030. I'm going to try to come back in, uh, and then we're going to move to Cuervo's at 1030 Eastern. Okay. So I'm muting myself now. Feel free. Have fun. Oh, all right. Jonathan, how you been, man? Um, I'm, I'm doing. I've been good, Cuervo. I've been good. How you doing, brother? I'm good, you know, and this is kind of good timing that uh, that you're coming on because we had just finished, uh, Todd, I don't know if you heard the conversation we were having as far as, um, you know, teams ending long tenures with, with their head coaches, because we got on the subject of Texas, and I don't know about you, but I was just, I mean, I had to slap myself in the face to make sure I was awake that... I saw the I saw the score right that Texas actually beat Oklahoma and I mean I couldn't believe it. So you know we we, you know, we were just talking about how you know what were some things that you know really uh, how do I say it caused Texas to play so well against Oklahoma. But I mean, what were your thoughts on that game last week? I mean, what do you think it was? What was a motivating factor you think uh, for Texas to play so well? Well, I will say that um, I was very angry with that end result of the game. Um, You know, as you can imagine, me being the gambling man I am, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take Oklahoma this week. They've been spanking, you know, Texas left and right. It seems like a good bet to make. Naturally, the week that I decide, hey, let's bet on Oklahoma to beat Texas, Texas decides to show up. What I think happened was Oklahoma came in sleepwalking. And Texas came in hungry, and they wanted to win. 
And Mac Brown wanted to win. And the players want to win for Mac Brown because we all know none of them want to see Mac Brown fired because you've never heard one player complain about Mac Brown. There's never been a complaint from a player about Mac Brown, you know, not you know, doing something that they like, you know, whether it's the way they call the offense or defense, whatever it is. So I think Texas, they just wanted that win more. Case McCoy, for all of his faults throughout his career, you know, trying to live up to his big brother Colt's name and all that, he had himself a fantastic game. And so did that defense. I mean, my hat's off to that defense. And by the way, somebody needs to call Josh Schuple and say, when somebody hands you the BYU game film, actually watch it. Because all they had to do was run on Texas, and they would have been successful. But he kept trying to stretch the field, and you can't do that against this defense. They're going to give you the cushion. They just can't tackle. Okay. And, and, and you, you started touching on it, but I think, I think a big thing for Texas last week was just I think the players finally started to take accountability for themselves. I mean, they, I, they probably – I wouldn't even say probably. They're tired of hearing about – their coach being on the hot seat and he's probably going to get fired at the end of the season. And I don't know who it was. I mean, it could have been McCoy. It could have been somebody else said, you know what, guys, I'm tired. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing about coach Brown, you know, getting, getting fired after this season. We need to go out there. We need to, um, you know, show these guys what we're made of and we need to take accountability for ourselves. You know, I mean, Mac Brown's not out there. He's not, you know, he's not, uh, you know, in shoulder pads and a helmet. So we need to go out there and we need to, you know, win for him, like you said. And I, I think that's, that was the, you know, the last straw for them. So I think, I think that played a big part in it. So I think you and I are on the same page as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, and I, I do think you're right. I think it is about time that Texas, their players, took accountability. Because um, they're a bunch of four- and five-star recruits. They've been told, you know, probably since fifth grade that they are God's gift to the world. And they've been they've been playing like a bunch of complacent, you know, guys. And I, I just – I love the enthusiasm and the effort I saw in that game from Texas. I just – it really was something special to watch. You know, the, the game might have not gone the way I thought it would and the way, you know, I, I bet it would. But you know what? My hat's off to Texas. It was fantastic to see them win that game. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, you know, it's Texas football. I mean, that's people. People are attracted to it. You know, they they want to watch. You know, Texas when they're playing. I mean, they're they're just a team that people want to watch. Whether you're an actual fan of the team or not, when when Texas is in a big game, people people like to watch. And uh, yeah, I think that's what you have with them um, now. Looking at their schedule, Jonathan, I could I could very well see them only losing possibly one more game uh, mm-hmm. if things continue to go in the right direction, and that's mm-hmm. probably going to be the last game of the season against Baylor. I, I don't I don't see them beating Baylor at home, so I, I I would I would be on the safe side, and I would say they're probably not going to win that game, but. Mm-hmm. I think for people out there that want to see Mac Brown stay at Texas, would it be fair to say that the best, you know, a good argument for people for him to say is, look, if we go nine and three this season, this is the best season we've had in four years. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, would that would that be a good argument to keep Mac Brown around? Yes, yes, it would. I, you know, I, I have been one of those guys, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in coaches getting stale. I, you know, we saw it in the pro level of Andy Reid. Sometimes a coach just gets stale, and it had it seemed like these past couple of years, Mac Brown has gotten stale, but he's not. 100% sale, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And I think if Texas has a good year and they come out and they do, let's say they went out or they went seven uh, you know, of, their, of these last you know, nine or however many games are left, this is a team that I, I think you look at and say, there, you know, there's more hope there. They're building for the future. Let's see what they can do with a new quarterback next year because if I'm not mistaken, Ash and McCoy graduate, you know, let's, Let's let's keep this going if if it progresses. Now Texas misses another bowl game. I think that's where you take a step back, and I think you say, "Well, Mac, it was fun, but it's time to go." But if we see improvement, we see that progression. I think you have to let Mac Brown stay. And Texas fans, I think, if they see improvement from last year, are going to want him to stay because unfortunately, their expectations that you know since the national championship lost Alabama, their expectations have gotten lower and lower every year. And I, I think, you know, this is a year where uh, the cards are just falling right for him. I really do. I mean, we, Oklahoma State's not as strong as we thought they were going to be. Same with TCU. So, I, you know, Texas fans, keep your head up. You, I, you could be in a Fiesta Bowl Big 12 champs. Absolutely. And, and I mean, when it comes to Texas, the thing that always sells them short of a better – bowl game than the Outback Bowl or the Holiday Bowl, which they always seem to get every year, is the Mm -hmm. fact that they never have that tiebreaker against Oklahoma. Well, this year they have it. So, like Mm -hmm. you said, I mean, it's a golden opportunity for Texas to, uh, you know, draw one of the the big bowl games, possibly even, uh, you know, the Big 12, you know, the Big 12, the, the you know, they're at-large bid or, or however they call it. And I don't know if they've switched it around, but I mean, they have an opportunity to, to not have to settle for, the, you know, the, the Outback or one of them. They, I mean, they can go Fiesta or they could go uh, one of the bigger bowls. So, I mean, but, oh, yeah. again, Texas is going to have to take care of business, though. Yes. I mean, they, they can't be sitting there going, we're 3-0 and in conference play, you know, that everything's just going to be given to us. They still have to show up every week because, you know, whether you agree with me, whether you're a Texas fan or not, I think everybody agrees that they lost. They should have lost that Iowa State game. The refs handed them a golden opportunity to have a second chance to get that victory. And now Texas needs to take that opportunity and run with it. You know, I mean, nine and three records. Let's say eight and four, nine and three is not a bad record for them to wind up and the Cotton Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or, you know, something other than the Holiday Bowl, which, right, it seems like they're in every year, would be a huge fan. You know, I would, nothing would impress me more with Matt Brown and that team and their resolve to fight through all this scrutiny than to, you know, get to the mountaintop of, you know, Big 12 football. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan, another thing we were talking about before you came on was, um, you know, we we started talking about you know the the mess in USC and and things like that, and I wanted to get your opinion on Florida State 
And what we were talking about was, you know, whenever you have a head coach like Mac Brown, and this is another thing that I brought up too, is whenever you have a head coach at your at a program that is going to go down as one of the legends in that in that program's history, whether it's Mac Brown, um, you know, it, it, one day Bob Stoops is going to be, go down as one of the one of the greatest Oklahoma head coaches, right there with Barry Switzer. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, you look at Bobby Bowden, okay, and this is this mm-hmm. is where this is where I wanted to get your opinion on it. Anytime you quote unquote let a, a legendary head coach like that go, unless you have the perfect replacement, it never ends up good for programs. They always mm-hmm. they always wind up setting themselves back a good five years, and that's why I think. For Texas to fire Mac Brown would be a mistake in a way because I think it'll set them back because you have to allow yourself to find that replacement, the guy that is going to, you know, pretty much not miss a beat and continue mm-hmm. to recruit well and continue to keep that program, you know, to a high standard. And for, you know, and I brought up Florida State because of the things, the, the way it went down with Bobby Bowden, and I mean, the the delay, you know, the the gap between being good and and not being so good and things like that, it wasn't that bad, but I mean, you know, the, the whole thing at Florida State, I just feel like, you know, they 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 kind of fall under that too when you go from Bobby Bowden to. Jimbo Fisher, I just felt like it took it took a couple of years for them to get back to being Florida State. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's that's all I'm saying. And I know the 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 the, the Nick Saban, the Texas rumors are flying all over the place. Stop it! That's not going to happen. He's not going to Texas. You're not going to give up. Being first of all, being in 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 the toughest conference, the strongest conference in the country. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I I just don't I just don't feel like I mean I could see him being the head coach of Texas. I just don't know if he would truly be happy there. I mean, what would be the true motivation to go? It's not to win national championships. He's doing that at Alabama. It's not mm-hmm. for the money. I'm sure he's got to be one of the highest paid coaches already. You know, right there in Tuscaloosa. So, mm-hmm. what would be? I mean, what would be the what would be the reason if you're Nick Saban to go from Alabama to Texas? I mean, help me out, Jonathan. What would be a good reason to do it if there is one? Well, I mean, and I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to being from you know being from Florida. Has Nick Saban ever shown loyalty to one program? He didn't show loyalty to Michigan State. He didn't show loyalty to LSU. He didn't show loyalty to the Miami Dolphins. You know, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to break habits like that. Uh, you know, and well, the reason I think Saban would go to Texas is because I, I honestly believe Saban likes the challenge. I do. I, I think he enjoys the the challenge of having to rebuild a program, especially a prominent program. You know, when he took over LSU, that wasn't a winning football program. When he took over Alabama, oh, my goodness, you ask any Alabama fan you want, they'll tell you that he took over a bad program. 
you know, I, I honestly believe that Saban loves the challenge of rebuilding. I think he likes to be challenged. Now the fact that Saban is, my gosh, I believe he's 61. Um, he might be in that part in his life where he doesn't want to challenge anyone. You know, and I, I don't blame him. He's got the rings. He's got four national championship rings as a, as a head coach in the SEC. He's got, you know, he's going to go down as one of the best coaches of all time. And if he stays at Alabama, he's going to go down as possibly, you know, him and Bear Bryant are going to be one and two. And if he wins more championships, he'd go down as the greatest head coach in Alabama history. And that sounds, and I'm saying that sounds blasphemous. It really does because of what Bear meant to Alabama, what he, you know, what he did for that program. But you got to remember what Nick Saban has done and how he's been able to avoid that one huge mistake, you know, that one infraction that can really set you back. Like, USC got hit with it. You know, Notre Dame was the head coaches they couldn't figure out. You know, every program hit the snag. Florida State, we saw the snag. It, it, it began in 99 when, you know, we really started to see Peter Wark and the Vernius Coles get in trouble and then Snoop get in trouble in 2000, and it just kind of got progressively worse from that. You know, there's the top programs always hit a snag somewhere, and Alabama hasn't hit that yet. And that's when I think Saban might leave, but I really doubt it. I mean, people forget how close Saban was to coming to F- I mean, he, he instead of Alabama, he could have been Florida State's next head coach. People forget how close he was to being that guy. And I just think, you know, seeing him succeed at Alabama, a, a part of me is kind of happy with that. Now, part of me goes, well, screw that. That should be happening in Tallahassee. But I don't know if Stephen truly wants that challenge of leaving. But that's the only way I see it, is if something comes up, a big infraction, the NCAA finally puts the hammer down, and then he's going to say, screw it. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't have to deal with it. Right, and and, and that's the loyalty factor that you were talking about where, I mean, and Pete Carroll did the same thing. I mean, as soon mm-hmm. as as soon as they started to get, they started to hit him with stuff. <laughs> Pete Carroll's like, "I'm out of here. I'm going to the NFL." And mm-hmm. I mean, Nick Saban. Nick Saban seems like that same type of guy. But you know, that as far as the challenge going to that's that's the only to me that's the only reason you leave Alabama is if you truly want a challenge. You know, you I mean, you want to rebuild a program. Um, I mean, Texas, in my opinion, is, is easy to rebuild. I mean, you've got all those prospects down there in the state of Texas where high school football is, you know, it's you, you know, if you're not at a game, you're just, you know, something's wrong with you. You're not mm-hmm. out there watching a high school game. But, I mean, if he wants, a, like, a true, you know, type of challenge like that, I mean, there's there's some teams out there that, uh, you know, would definitely love to have him and said, hey, this would be a great place to, to rebuild. I mean. Oh, yeah, well, you know, there's the Army. Yeah, I mean, they, that would, and that would be, oh, God, that would be a challenge. But, mm-hmm. you know, well, you never that's, know. That's how you find out you how good know. of a coach you are. That's where you find out if your schemes actually work. Sure. Absolutely. So, 
All right, Jonathan, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, um, we're about to end it on, on Brian's uh, program. So if you mm-hmm. want to call in, the number is 347-215-7497. We're going to go move over to Sunnyside, all right? Okay. 